Good evening, everybody. <coughs> Welcome back. This week is Parshas Tetzave, and <coughs> we're going to continue with the halachas of cooking on Shabbos, and this is part five. Last week, we discussed the halachas of Chazara on Shabbos, when are you allowed to take food off the fire and return it. And we said there are four conditions. The fire has to be covered with a blech, the food fully cooked and hot, the pot is still in your hand, and you had in mind to return it to the stove when you removed it. And if all these four conditions are in place, then you can take a pot off the fire and return it. So now let's discuss what to do if you see that your chalant is running low on water and might burn. What can you do? So there are two options. You can either add water, as we'll see in a moment, or if it's a crack pot, sometimes what you can do is you can raise the pot from the bottom by placing a silver foil ball or some other metal thing to reduce the heat by you know, making it higher than the heat source. Now, both these options require hazard. If your crack pot is lined with silver foil, so then it has a blech. Or even if it's not, you can line it on Shabbos, provided that you have silver foil available to use for that purpose. So you would remove the pot, making sure you keep it in your hand, while you add a silver foil ball to raise the level. So that's one option. The other option is you want to add water. So what would you do? You'd bring the pot over to your urn, and the best thing is to add water directly into the pot. Being careful, though, not to hold the pot too close to the spigot, because you don't want the steam that's flashing to heat up the spigot and make it flashing. And even if it's just a little distance away, steam cools off very quickly, so it won't be a problem. So it's only if you really hold it immediately under the spigot that it would be a problem. Now, sometimes it's simply not possible to hold the pot under the spigot, like if your uh, urn is further back on the counter. So then you can put hot water into a cup and then add it to the pot. But again, only after you have removed the pot from the fire can you do this. And then you replace it back on the fire and the crack pot. So that's another option that you have. Again, if you have a block, you can take the, the pot off, take water from the urn, add it to the pot, and then put it back onto the heat source fire or the crack pot. If you mistakenly removed something from a blech, so although you removed it from a blech because you thought it was something else, and then perhaps you didn't really have in mind to put it back, but being that it was a mistake, you're allowed to return it to the blech. Likewise, if the electricity goes out or a plug gets pulled out by a child or the fire goes out somehow, you can take that pot and return it to another fire covered by a blech, provided that the food is still hot. So again, if for whatever reason your heat source disappears, as long as the pot is still hot, you can take it and put it onto a friend's heat source, his hot plate or his blech or whatever else it is, um, because that's called hazara. And the only problem is that once the pot cools down, then you have a bishal problem, and then it's not permitted to put it back onto the fire. So you have to catch that while it's still hot. Now let's begin learning about the halachas of actual cooking, bishal on Shabbos. These halachas apply to things, such as adding salt to chalant even after it's on your plate, using tea bags, dipping challah into soup, the proper way to, the proper way to make coffee, and so on. So let's, let's begin. Additional on Shabbos, on a derisa level, generally only takes place in a klirishan, literally the first pat. Klirishan is a pat 
which was on the fire or whatever heat source you have. Even after it's been removed from the fire, it remains with its status as a clearition. Therefore, a chalon pot is a clearition, an urn is a clearition, a soup pot is a clearition. Klisheni means once the food has been transferred into another pot or bowl or plate. Then it has the status of klisheni, literally second vessel. And generally, a klisheni does not cook minatera. We'll learn next week more about midrabana and what its status is. The process of transferring from a klishen to a klisheni is called irui, which means pouring. During that transfer, the food still retains its clearition status. So, hence, iri clearition, meaning pouring from a clearition, still has the status of a clearition, and it only becomes a clicheni only after it has settled into the pot or bowl that you poured it into. So, what this means is, let's go through a couple of cases just to demonstrate what this means. Let's say you were to take a raw vegetable and dip it into your challenge pot for whatever reason, this would be a de'oraisa prohibition of bishel. If you were to add spices into your chalant or supat, even after it's off the fire, it would be a de'oraisa prohibition of bishel. Even if you just poured from the chalant pot onto a vegetable in your plate, say you have, um, I don't know, cucumber salad on your plate, and you pour the chalant onto the plate so that it hits it, it would also constitute a derisa of bishul because this is irreclerition. This It touches it while it's still in the transferring state. While you're still pouring it, it has still the status of a clerician. This tends to be the most applicable when you're taking water from the urn. So again, the urn is a clerician. So water coming out of the urn is irreclerician. So if you pour that water directly onto a tea bag, um, that would be an iser derisa of bishul. According to many Paiskim, and we are stringent in this, that even after something has been transferred to a klisheni, but it is a solid food or very thick, like a hot piece of chicken, kogel, or chalant, it retains its status of klisheni while it's still hot. So this means that if you have a hot piece of chicken that came out of the, or off the stove or from the oven Friday night, and it's on your plate, it still has the status of clearition, so you can't put spices on it. And likewise, you have to be careful not to place that chicken on top of coleslaw, which is a raw vegetable, because that would be a question, a question of bishul de raisa. And the same goes for hachalot. Now, some places can more lenient and say you don't have to be careful about it touching other things on your plate because it only ruins them and a number of other svaras. But nevertheless, it's good to be careful about this if you can. Now, this is only an issue as long as the food is hot. Hot in halacha means yad to lettuce by, which means that it's hot enough that you can't hold your finger on it for about 30 seconds. So if it's that hot, then it's still considered hot halachically. Once it's, you can keep your finger on it, even though it's technically hot, it's not hot enough to be called cooking status, and it's not a problem. So to summarize, what we've learned is how to define a clearition. A clearition is the pot that was on the fire, that's a clearition, even after it's been removed from the fire. Pouring from a clearition still has the status of a clearition until it lands in the bowl that you're pouring it into and it stays there. Then it gets its status of clearition. In a clearition, generally everything is visual derisa, 
unless it's something that's been cooked already, which we'll talk about. But if you were to take a raw vegetable, raw spices, put it into your chalampat, supat, it would be a derisive prohibition of bishel. And likewise, if you pour from your urn directly onto something else, um, like a tea bag, which is not cooked, it would also be a derisive bishel. And there's a, st- a stringency that we keep that is something which is solid or very thick, like a hot piece of chicken, kogel or chalant, retains its status of a klerishin, even though it's in a klerishin, and klerishin doesn't make a difference. As long as it's hot, yet to lettuce body, it retains its status of a klerishin, so you should not spice it. Um, you shouldn't try, you should try to keep it clear of the coleslaw or other things on your plate while it's still hot, because that would be a question of bishel diarisa. Parashat Tetzava begins with the commandment to obtain shemen zayizach, pure olive oil, for the purpose of lighting the menorah. The Pasuk says, lois ner tamit, and literally this means to elevate the flame forever. Now what does this language of lois mean when used in reference to lighting a candle or lighting the nair on the menorah. So Rashi explains that while lighting the wick, don't remove the flame that you're lighting with until the fire is fully burning on its own. His words are, it's oila me'eleha, until it rises on its own. Sepharim explained that this is a remez, it's a hint, that a Rebbe, Mechanach, parents, when they're teaching their children and giving over the values of Judaism that we hold so dear, we should see to it that we ignite the spark in our children so that it burns on its own. They shouldn't need to come on to us anymore for their inspiration, and they should be self-motivated and growing. So what does this mean? The Chavetz Chaim explains that there are some parents that are fine teaching their children the basics of Judaism, Haradavan, some Chumash, basic mitzvah observance, and they're fine with that. The real chenuch in their eyes is something else. There are different values that they really focus on. And when asked, what about Torah Judaism, they would answer, don't worry, he or she will grow up to be a good Jew, and what's more important? But this is a mistake, the Chavetz Chaim says. He compares this actually to halachas that we were just learning. That's why I had to say this piece. He says there are two types of heat. He says there's a fire, and then there is a pot of water bubbling on top of a fire. They're both very hot, burning hot. But the difference between them is, wherever you move a fire, it remains hot and produces heat. But once you remove a path from a fire, it immediately begins to cool until it's totally cooled. And there's another difference as well. Fire creates fire. You can light one fire from another, and then light another fire from the second, and then a fourth from the third. But a hot path, once it's transferred to a klisheni, it cools considerably that for the most part it can't cook. And certainly, once it's transferred to a klishalishi, it doesn't cook at all. So likewise, regarding chinuch, he says, there are two approaches to chinuch. If we're mechanach our children in Tyra, we give them appreciation for Tyra. We teach them as much Tyra as we can. We ignite a love for Tyra within our children. The Tyra is compared to a fire. And the fire ignites the souls of its learners. Then, even after he or she leaves the house of their parents, the fire burns with them, because fire remains hot no matter where it goes. And in addition, the fire will be used to ignite the next generation, 
who will burn on their own, and they will be able to ignite the next generation who will burn on their own. But if one takes the approach to Chinuch to merely teach them how to be a good Jew, and not to ignite the fire of Torah within them, then they are like a pot that's heated by a fire, that as long as they are in presence of their parents, they can remain hot, but once they leave the parents' home, they'll begin to cool, and certainly won't be able to heat their children and children's children, something that unfortunately was witnessed a lot in previous generations. And that's our obligation, to ignite the spark of terror within our children so that it burns on its own. This is one beautiful chinuch idea that we find in this parasha. I'd like to add another chinuch idea we find in this parasha, so another also beautiful idea. That part of our obligation in chinuch is to figure out how to ignite that spark within our children, and the rest of the parasha provides a hint how to achieve this. The names of the Shvatim were engraved in two places on the Big Day Kahuna. One, on the two stones that supported the Chayshen. So those were on the shoulders of Aaron Akayin. There were two stones, and the Chayshen hung from those two stones. Six Shvatim were engraved on one, and six on the other. These two stones, they were identical. Now, the names of the Shvatim were also carved on the stones of the Chayshen, but there, every Shevet had its own stone. Each stone was individual, it had a unique quality, color, and they had special qualities. The Mamlayas goes through each stone, he identifies its unique qualities, and explains why it was appropriate for that particular Shevet. And what this teaches us is that we all work together as Jews, and we unite as one in our mission, and that's represented by the names that are on the shoulder that support the Chayshin. Those two stones are identical. We try to have complete unity, and working together is what creates the foundation and the support for Kali Yisrael to exist. That's what the Chayshin hangs on. But for each of us to shine and succeed, we need to find our own unique quality and mission and have our own specific contribution to Kali Yisrael. We need to find ourselves. And this is such an important value in Chinuch, which the Pasuk says, teach each child according to his or her path. And if we can do that, if we can help them find their own way, find what they are good at, what they will succeed at, where they can shine, we can be successful in igniting the spark of terror within our children. Have a good night and a wonderful Shabbos.